Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They will be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You are encouraged to call in and share your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Are you ready for your dose of hope? You're listening to Pause I Am Radio. everyone and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host Robert Brining. This evening, Jeremy Dunn. How are you? <laughs> As I get ready to speak, I start hacking up along. I'm grand. I am I'm actually okay. I'm surviving. Well that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, it's it, it it's been quite the adventurous week, I have to tell you. You know, um last week I wasn't able to to be here. Um unfortunately um, I have a shrimp allergy, and uh, and it looked like I had had some. Uh, I think it was Chinese food or or something um, that had some shrimp in it, and I didn't realize that it was there until it was too late. So um, I uh, had to be rushed to the emergency room because I was going to anaphylactic shock. Um, but uh, all is well, all is good. And then about four days after that, um, I developed a really nasty chest cold. So I'm getting over that. Um, I'm here tonight, and that's all that matters. Isn't that right? Well, that's good. We missed you last week, definitely, for sure. I, I know you missed me. Justin, I sure missed me. Yes, but it was very it was very interesting to have two guests on um, and, and kind of, you know, do it like that. It was, it was, it was different, you know what I mean? I, it was just weird not having you there. And, and then having two guests on, it was just a different way to flow things because questions went to specific, you know, the specific person. Right, right. No, I, I I get that. Yeah, I understand that. But but so I've had my dog Charlie with me, and uh, she's been my my nurse, and uh, she's with me right now. She's on my lap. I'm laying in bed. I, actually, I'm kind of sitting up in bed, kind of propped up with all my pillows, and I've got my pajamas on, and I've got my Internet is for porn T-shirt on, and I'm just hanging out. <laughs> So before anybody calls in and says, hey, Jeremy, what are you wearing? That's what I'm wearing. There you have it. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. Heard it here first. So how are you? I'm doing okay. I've had somewhat of a hectic uh, week. Um, My grandmother passed away yesterday, so um, that was kind of... Oh, that's right. it It was... Expect it like we were expecting it. She's been in and out of the hospital for the last, God knows, probably like five years, like really bad. Like I'm sure since February she's been in the hospital nine or ten times just this year. Um, so, you know what I mean? We were, she's had pneumonia, you know, she was in there for a whole bunch of different things. So, um, you know, and at the end I just think now she's just out of pain. Um, but she was yeah. definitely the, 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 you know, she was the prime example of family, like, the family that she created here 
and raised, you know, my uncles and all that. Just It's just a good, solid family, and, you know, she'll be missed. It was just kind of a day yesterday where we just went to my aunt's and hung out and kind of just ate food. <laughs> you know what I mean? We ate, we drank, we had a good time, and we just sat around and just, you know, we're around each other. You know, it's kind of like what yeah. you do when you lose someone. You don't know what to say. You just kind of just hang out and stare at each other, try to make each other laugh every once in a while. Well, um, how old was she? If you don't mind me asking. I don't know for sure. I want to say, I think when we were talking yesterday, my mom said that she was 87. But I'm not wow. sure. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Wow. 87. That's that's a it good could, long it life. Be, it could be a little younger. It could be maybe 80. So, yeah, she she had a, okay. a great life. And, you know, so, you know my what we'll say? Now, she so. was between 80 and 90. Yeah, we'll say that. All right. And uh, I saw on your uh, on your um, profile picture, she's at, she's holding you and smiling. Um, you know, it's funny uh, when you when we see our parents and our grandparents pass on. It's um, it's kind of a, and I, I think that's why we all sit there at the at the wake, and we sit there after the funeral and we look at each other, because then we realize, wow. We're not immortal, and we and then we start, you know, kind of internally contemplating our own mortality a little bit, and uh, and uh, it's it's always tough when when you do that. But uh, Robert, my condolences to you and your family, and um, I'm here for you, man. And I know she's Thanks, your grandma. So yeah. So grandpa- grandparents are 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 very important to uh, to have around. I have one surviving grandparent right now. And uh, uh, so I, I got to get out to California to visit her. Uh, she just turned 79. Um, I have young parents and grandparents, let me tell you. Uh, because I'm, oh, God, I'm going to be 38 this year, uh, uh, this, this um, coming up in uh, March. And she will be 80 in nineteen in, in in twenty thirteen. So um there's not much difference of uh, I mean there's there's she was very young when she had my parents. When she had when right. she had my parents. When she had my mom. So uh it, it was you know, it it's I need to call her more often and I think about it and the day gets away from me. But I, I think it, it just has to happen. You know, we just need to call, you know, this is Jeremy talking to all you folks out there. Get out there, pick up the damn phone, and call your grandparents if you can, if they're still with you, and um, give them a call and just say, how are you guys doing? You doing okay? Because they'd love to hear from you. So, I, you know what, I think I'm going to do that um, tonight when I get off this call. Hopefully she's still awake. <laughs> oh, so. man. Yeah, you know, I, I always consider myself blessed in, in the grandparents' department because I, I lost, I mean, I lost my grandfather on my mom's side uh, uh, senior year in high school. And then I still have my grandmother on that side and both of my great-grandmothers on that side. And oh, then on my dad, yeah. yeah, and then on my dad's side I had my grandmother and my, and my grandfather. So I always, you know, had an abundance. They, the women in my family seem to, you know, on my mom's side seem to live very long since <laughs> both uh of my great-grandmothers are alive on that side, so it's kind of interesting. Because my niece actually then now has a great-grandmother and a great-great-grandmother alive. Yeah, it's, 
it's it really is kind of nifty, isn't it? Um, yeah. When I can remember, God, I'm going back many years, many many years ago, when I had my myself, my mom, her mother, and her mother all in the same room, and. Uh, that just didn't happen very often. And then there was my mom, her father, and his mother. We'd all be in the same in the same room. So that that was actually a lot more often. But um, we just, you know, it's life is. We're on here for a a a limited amount of time, and we just have to make the most of it. And we have to make the most of it with the people that we are around and our family members and. And if you're not um, close to your family or, or you, you don't speak to them, you know, you have your chosen family members that are around you. So, you know, look at them and tell them that you love them. That's that's the important part. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Yeah, I don't know how we got on. I don't mean to damper the mood or be a Debbie Downer, but, I mean, it was just, I don't know. It, it kind of still hasn't really hit me. Um you know, I didn't, they called us the night before to go up and visit her, and I kind of just didn't want to, if that was going to be the end, I didn't kind of want that to be what I saw her as, because she was not, she was on a breathing machine and all that, so mm-hmm. I, the vision I had with her after Thanksgiving, I went up, you know, we were talking, we, I fed her, we were, she was, you know, eating and everything, so I want that to be the vision that I hold on to. There um, you go. So, that's kind of, you know, but yeah. So, you know, and, and it's kind of weird because, to... I'm sorry. No, no, I go ahead. Before, I was going to say, before in my using days back in the day, um, you know, I wouldn't even be around to give a crap about this. And I think, you know, when I was diagnosed and all that, it kind of, you know, as we say, put life into perspective for me. And, I, I, you know, I just, you know, it's kind of weird because I think if, if I didn't become positive, I probably wouldn't, you know, Sorry. even be around yeah. for any of this, you know, appreciate what yeah. family really is about. Yeah, you know, it, it really is. And, and when family really does stick in. And, and what we also have to realize is that funerals isn't aren't for the dead. Right. Funerals, funerals and wakes are for the, are for the living. And um, it, it's for the living to grieve and to process that grief together. Um, so just on a side note, do you know why a wake is called a wake? Why? All right. So back in the day, um, parlors, houses had parlors in them. And uh, that's where you would set up <laughs> your loved one who had died within your house usually, like your mother or your father or something like that. Um, and uh, you would set them up, and then you would have watch over them for for like two or three days in case they actually woke up and you mistook them for being dead. And that's why it's called awake. Okay. Well, it, I, 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 I kid you not. And, um, not a joke. <laughs> no, it was not a joke. It, it is. It is. There, there's facts, and you know, it's, uh, my head is full of this trivial um, crap that 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 is completely useless unless you are. Um, uh, uh, you know, on 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 um, 
Uh, you know, uh, playing trivial pursuit with your friends or something. <laughs> right. It's nuts. It's crazy, crazy. All right. So I think we have our guest on the line. It is just about a quarter after nine. It's about 15 after. It's 12 after now. Um, our guest is in. in uh, our guest is Jason Villa. I know I'm going to get this wrong. Villa. 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 Villa Bobas, right? Bobas, right? Yeah. Uh, I I should have paid closer attention to grammar when I was going to school. Villa Bobas, and um, uh, and uh, Villobas. There we go. I was putting an extra A in there, you know, because I saw the, you know, you pronounce it the way. It, it, sorry, Jason. Sorry, Villobas. Jason, I am so sorry. I was, you know, giving you the Bob Vila effect there, but there was no extra A in there. Damn it. All right. Um, so uh, without further ado, you know what? Let, let's just bring him on. and I'm going to quit yabbering here. Uh, Jason, you're on the air with Robert and Jeremy and with Pause I Am Radio. How are you? Hi, Robert and Jeremy. Thank you for having me tonight. Well, we haven't had you yet. It's still early. Yeah. You have, and I can tell you're not from California because you don't have to pronounce Via Lobos. <laughs> Via Lobos. Via Lobos. Yeah, it's okay. See, I, I was closer. I was closer. I knew there was an A in there. Via Lobos. <laughs> I like white uh, people, so I'm used to it. I've been used to it since the. You like white and, people? So. <laughs> I do. I like white people. So I, I, I make exceptions for uh, for your time. Jason, not only am I white, but I'm very, very Irish. All right. <laughs> So the only thing I know how to do is boil meat and mispronounce your name. <laughs> that's all right. Anyway, that's quite all right. I'm quite used to it. I was I was laughing to myself while I was listening to you uh, struggle with it. So I, I got I, I got a few laughs out of it. You know, how are it, you, it, it, you have to. I'm great. How are you? I'm I'm actually great. Um, I had a great day with my boyfriend today, who actually happens to be HIV negative. That's just we're talking about a oh, issues, and um. You know, I it's been lovely. I'm going to have dinner. I'm going to see we're done. I'm having a great day. I'm having a great kick. I went to the beach, so I can't complain. I'm Californian. <laughs> I miss. You know what? I grew up in California, and, oh, and you I, did. I do. Yeah, I did, and I and I, I do miss. I do miss um, being able to go to the beach in freaking December. I, I now <laughs> live. You know, I, I live in New York now, so you know it's. I'm in the center of the universe, man. We're saying you are. Yes. You are. You have blizzards now. You're really, you're getting everything. You're blizzards. We had a hurricane just you know, a month ago. It's like, what the hell? You know, what the hell is going on here? The world is topsy turvy. I tell you. Better you than me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Come out during um, you know, Christmas time when it's snowing. You go through Central Park in a horse in a horse-drawn carriage. You look up and you go, you head down to the Rockefeller Center, and there's the tree, and you ice skate at the base of the tree. Oh, it's oh, uh, I know, I know. Oh, <laughs> no, he says he goes no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great because you know when you live in the Winter Wonderland, you can buy all those great matching accessories to your boyfriend, and you can get the mittens and the gloves and the scarves, and you know, exactly, you know, huddle up together. So I, I appreciate the beauty of New York, and what also 
the, uh, the extras that I bring. I mean, the, the fashion, the, uh, the stuff under the blankets, you know, that whole bit that we don't necessarily uh, have as many opportunities for in California. No, but, but Jason, you have Santa's Wonder or Santa's, what is it, Santa's Workshop, Santa's Wonderland or whatever it is, Santa Land. Yes, we do. Yes, we you do. And I've never been. Oh, oh, Jason, you have to go at least <laughs> once. It is the cheesiest, it is the cheapest, and it, it, it's falling apart all around you. You, you. you have to go at least once. You know, I, I sat on many, uh, many laps of men who look like Santa Claus, but I've never actually been to Santa's, you know, I've been to a few workshops, but I've never quite oh, been to Oh, oh Jason, what would you like oh, for Christmas? <laughs> Come on, sit right on over here and tell me what you'd like. Ooh, I know exactly what I want, Santa. <laughs> uh, we, we better switch this conversation around fast, otherwise we're going to get in trouble. Because All the right. FCC is going to, like, yell at us or something. <laughs> oh, jeez. So I'm really excited to talk to you guys. I haven't um, done an interview via the radio in quite a long time. So I mean, it's exciting to get to talk to you. Um, we've never met before, obviously. But I want to say, once again, I really appreciate what you're doing for people to help you know, eliminate stigma and to get people talking about you know, HIV and AIDS issues, especially among young gay men where we see the disease just exploding um, really in not leveling out. And so I think what you guys are doing is a real service to the community. And so I really like to commend you for putting yourselves out there, your your stories out there, and for making yourselves available to you know, your listeners all around the country. So thank you for that. Well, you're very welcome. Oh, thanks. I'm glad we can do the service now. We're done. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> we're going to give you 45 minutes back. <laughs> so, 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 so let me start off with let, let me start off with this, Jason. This is Robert. Um, you know, I came across your video, uh, the Faces of AIDS video that you shot with um, Robert Sanders last year for the Edge, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this World AIDS Day, he came to Philadelphia and shot some, and I was a part of that. Um, you know, that series of videos, um, and that was kind of how I made the connection with you. And I've actually reached out to a few other people who were. Out. Some people who actually reached out to didn't even know the videos were live. Oh, did really? You know that your video was up there. I, I did. I did know. I um, I, I okay. used it. I used it for World AIDS Day. I've done a couple of PSAs doing with um, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, doing with um, Creators and AIDS, and I did um, that one that you that we both share the um, that we will share have in common. So I, I post them every once in a while whenever I I fundraise for different charitable events, and just to get a way to get. People understand who I am is me talking rather than me just writing like a post on Facebook or you know advocating via um, a blog post. So I, I do post right. them occasionally. So I was aware. Cool. Yeah. No. Cool. That's. I, I think it's an awesome thing that that the, the people at the edge do, and, and to release that, it kind of sucks for me because I was the one, the last one of the day. So I had to wait <sighs> every hour checking, and I was the last one. Well, at oh. least you were up in the beginning, right? When you got up, you were probably already up in. I was I was when I when I they posted me I was I I was thinking I was early I was in the morning so by the time I did get up I was definitely posted. Yeah. Cool. So what did you do this World AIDS Day? This World AIDS Day, you know, I just recently relocated from San Francisco to small town America. I I moved, I've been living in either Los Angeles or San Francisco the last 13 years. I'm 33, so I left at the age of 20, and I just recently came back to small town America, my hometown, and so. 
I felt really at a disadvantage usually when I'm in, I've been in San Francisco for 11 years, and I usually have some sort of event that's tied in with the AIDS Foundation or, you know, there's a candlelight vigil that happens every year to honor those that we've lost and those that we continue to continue to test positive every year. And so I felt sort of like um, very outside of, you know, what I typically do. But I also realized what so many people struggle with when we don't have access to, you know, places like the AIDS Foundation. What do the rural, rural gays do? What do the rural people who have to deal with, you know, going to the doctor in, in small town America, bigoted America do? And so I thought, well, how am I really going to observe this in a way that I feel like I'm contributing to the world and, you know, helping to educate, further educate people who need it? And so I, I did a lot of um, social media stuff. Like I... I'm known among my friends, Mr. HIV, because I've been on television quite a bit for it. I've done a lot of work. Um, so I just posted some things. I contributed a couple of, like, essays to a few websites. And I, you know, honestly, I'm going to do one-on-one things. I had an at-length conversation with my boyfriend, who is significantly younger than I am, who is HIV negative. And he had no idea about World AIDS Day. You know, he's not positive. It's not really his world. So we sat, we sat at the beach, and I told him my story, I told him, you know, what, explain what the, the significance of World AIDS Day, I explained to him, you know, the disease in the United States is about 30 years old, the lost generation of gay men in the 80s, I went through the whole history, and I hope that, you know, after our relationship perhaps ends, he's able to carry that knowledge with him for the rest of his life, and, you know, you can never take away a lesson learned, and so in my small way, I invested in, in another person, so that was my personal way of, of, of observing the World AIDS Day. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, so tell me, so tell me this, Jason. Tell us a little bit about your story. Um, you were diagnosed a little over eight years ago, right? That's true. I um. um go ahead. No, I was going to just ask you. Um, go ahead. You, you can start wherever you want. I was just going to ask you what made you get tested. Were you educated at the time when you went and got tested? You know, at, you know, and things like that. Well, you know, I come from a place called Waco, California. It's just north of Santa Barbara. In like probably at the beginning of um, like what we consider Southern California, where it goes from being like the central coast to Southern California, like right at that precipice. And my HIV education up to that point was about one chapter in a health book in about the ninth or tenth grade. I think we talked about HIV and AIDS for about a day and a half, and that was like one 45-minute period class, and then. 15 minutes the next day, and then really the lesson was, I mean, all of my health teacher said, I remember his name, Mr. Vassar, I think believe it was, um, he just said, just use condoms. And I mean, that was, and he's off, you're, you're having sex, just use condoms. I mean, that was pretty much our lesson about HIV. So I will definitely say that I was not educated about HIV and AIDS when I learned that I was seroconverted. And, you know, when I tested positive at the age of 25, I actually tested late. I tested for full-blown AIDS, I had 90 T-cells. Um, I didn't know what... I had been getting sick for a while, actually. I had, I had, I had a very dramatic story. That's why I think they, I, they like me on television because, you know, I'm not someone who's a stair converted and they put me on um, meds and, you know, everything was fine. You know, when I found out that I had AIDS, I had been getting sick for a significant amount of time. I had dropped about, you know, 15 to 20 pounds of weight I was, you know, getting sick, I was getting nauseous walking down the street. It was um 
you know, I was I had a lot of shame. I didn't know what I, mean, I was going to the doctors and I was even getting uh, tested. My blood was getting drawn. No one thought to give me an HIV test. Also, you know, taking responsibility for myself. I never asked for one. Um, you know, dogs were testing me for everything, and, and they knew I was gay, but no one seemed to think that it would it would be acceptable to give me an HIV test. So I was going to the doctor for about you know almost a year. I couldn't figure out what was going on. No one could figure out what was going on, and I remember I was getting progressively and progressively sicker. And I remember I had my turning point when my I went I'd gone home because I, I didn't have insurance. I was a college student. Oh, I was still covered under my parents' insurance, so I went home about five hours uh, south of San Francisco, and my mom was pulling out of the driveway with me, taking me to the doctor, and I remember I turned to her, and I said, you know what, I uh, I, I don't think I'm going to get any better. And sure, she, she hit the, we were pulling out of the driveway, she hit the brakes, and that was my way of telling her that I thought I was going to die, because I was so sick, and I didn't understand what was happening, and she said, and she started crying, and she said, are you sure? And I'm like, I just, I'm, well, I just don't know what the way things are going. I just don't, I just don't think I'm going to be alive very much longer. And you know, we have another. And we went so that day. It's very horrible. We went to the doctor, and my mother's in the waiting room. The doctor came in, small town doctor, and he put the clipboard down, and he looked at me and he said, "May I ask you a question?" And I said, "Sure." And he literally said to me, "Have you accepted Jesus Christ into your life?" And I looked at him. And I said, excuse me? And he said, because I really think that you are suffering from depression. And I think that, you know, if you turn your life to God, that, you know, you're going to find a lot of healing and a lot, a lot more happiness. And, you know, at that point I was 25. You know, I was, I was, I was living in San Francisco for about four years. I wasn't a complete, you know, babe in the woods. And I very calmly, like, I was so sick. I remember standing up and saying, thank you very much, but we're, we're done here. And I walked out of the the little patient room, and the doctor was kind of following me out. And my mom said, what's going on? I'm like, we're leaving. We're leaving this place. This place is disgusting. And, you know, you, I grew up very Catholic. You know, I'd rejected the church by this point, of course. And um, on the way out, my mother said, what had happened? I, I recounted it to her, and she was, like, horrified. And I had to go to class the next day. So I drove back to San Francisco, still very, very sick. What basically got me into the doctor was actually not any of the symptoms. I thought that I had um, I've heard told this story publicly, actually, for everything I've done. Um, I actually thought that I had syphilis or something. I had a, was what I thought was a syphilis sore, a sore in my groin area. It, it turned out it, it was an infected, ingrown hair. But while I was at the clinic, I had a gay male nurse look at my chart. I was 25. I was gay. I was sexually active with multiple partners. And he said, you know, have you had a, have you had an HIV test recently? And as soon as he said that, I, I, everything clicked for me. I had my aha moment, as Oprah would say. And, and he said, and he was very casual about it. He was well trained. And he said, you know, it's just, it would, it'll be really quick. It's really easy. And, you know, it'll take you five minutes, and you know, we can, just, it'll, you'll be done, it'll be done. Uh, you know, get, get to lunch. And I said, okay. So I agreed to the blood draw. And sure enough, about a week later, not only was I told I was HIV positive, I was told I had full-blown AIDS. And um, that I would need to be hospitalized. And that, uh, and I was put on suicide watch. It was very, it was very dramatic. And so that's actually how I found out that I had 
um, eight, actually. Wow. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very dramatic, it's a very, it's, it is a very dramatic story. And when I tell my story to people, I always want, I always try to emphasize that my story is, is very, was, I was ready, I was, I'm 92 years old, so I'm like, you know, it doesn't have to be so dramatic, it didn't have to be so bad, had I taken a more active role in my own health, if I didn't have, a, you know, this uh, sense of shame about going to the doctor, I think I was scared to hear that I was positive, you know, there were so many things at work in, like, my young, in my young head, I was scared that, you know, to face reality of being positive, I thought, you know, if I find I'm positive, then I'm going to have to face reality of that people are going to be scared of me. People, am, I, am I going to ever be loved? Is someone going to want to touch me ever again? Like, am I ever going to have a boyfriend? Am I going to live long enough to realize my dreams? And so it was a lot of stuff piled on that I was avoiding. So, well, and, and lucky that, for you, Jason, you've got the genetics. You won't have to worry about not having a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that, so I didn't, and I didn't believe it. I really honestly thought I knew that I was going to die. I absolutely knew that I was going to die. And so, you know, when I talk to young boys specifically, um, it's kind of like my mission in life is to talk to young gay men. The first thing I, I assure them of is that someone is going to want, you're you're going to have sex again. You're going to be loved. You're deserving of love. You are going, you have time as long as you get yourself together and pay attention to your health. You know, you can realize pretty much everything that you've ever wanted to, to realize within reason, of course. And um, look at me. Well, you would never know that I'm positive. I was so sick. I was wearing sweatpants under my jeans to hide, you know, how much weight I'd lost. You know, I, I took the mirror. I was I took the mirror off my wall because, you know, I was very gaunt. I was, it was, I was scary to look. I scare myself, looking at myself in the mirror. And I'm like, I'm all... I've come so far, and you know what? It doesn't have to be that bad. It doesn't have to be that bad, and we can make we can make this better. And so, it's really what I always want to emphasize to young pause guys: is that you know what? It's it's okay. You're going to get through this, but you, it, it's a process. What What are some of the Jason? What are some of the things that you did to get yourself through that process? Because you're obviously had a better. You know, you have a better state of mind now with your with your your status. So, what are some tips that you can give some people who are newly diagnosed to to kind of get themselves out of that spot? Well, the first thing I recommend is to know your facts and just to educate yourself. Um, I and you know, because we allowed to do that. Sorry, the truth, I. Um, but, you know, I went and got every scrap piece of information I can. I learned what a CD4 count was. I learned what a viral load count was. I, when they told me I had 90 T cells, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that it was, you know, you know 200 and below. Was an age. I had no idea. They were throwing all these numbers and um, words at me that made all this medical jargon that made incredible sense to them. But it was, they might as well have been speaking in Portuguese to me. It meant nothing to me. And, you know, they're throwing out all these. I, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. And so I had to start from the ground up. I had to, you know, read the books. I had to, you know, ask my doctor questions. I, I um, reached out and formed a community. Like I started doing something called the AIDS Life Cycle, which is a 545-mile event from Running over seven days, running a bike from San Francisco to Los Angeles, and raised money for the LA Gay Lesbian Center and the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, which are the two big um, nonprofits that deal with HIV and AIDS in either SF or LA. And in doing that, you know, training that for that, I met a lot of older pause men, and they very quickly, you know, you know, 
came in, you know, had that sixth sense. They realized I saw that I was very young, saw that I was very nervous, I was very shy, didn't know how to talk about it. At that point, I was still, every time I mentioned I was positive, I broke out in tears. You know, I didn't know how to process it. And so these older gay men, very sweet, you know, they never had kids. And suddenly they saw this young boy who was very scared and very confused. And I, I got, like, adopted by three or four, like, older gay men who became, like, my gay dads and who are longtime survivors. And, you know, they sort of just said, you know what, you're going to be okay. Like, I've been positive for 25 years. I buried almost all of my friends. Mm-hmm. The, the, the drugs are designer now compared to what we had in the first generation. Pardon me, of ACT, and boy, they didn't have a cure at all, anything for the first couple of years. You know, you're, and they looked at me and I was like, you're going to make it. I know this because I made it. And that made so, it really made such a difference to me. It wasn't just like a female nurse who was educated about HIV. It was a man that could have been, could be me in 30 or 40 years looking at me, grabbing, grabbing me by the shoulder, shaking me and saying, you're shaking the scared out of me and saying, Tomorrow for dinner tonight, my partner and I are both positive. We're going to help take care of you. We're going to get you through this. And the combination of um, community and education and, um, you know, and quite frankly, a, a boy that decided that he didn't care that I was positive, that he was still going to love me, and that you were uh, going to have get naked and still have great sex and fall in love. You know, I had a, a fantastic HIV-negative boyfriend who made me still feel wanted and adored. I had community and education. So I think those three things are really, were really key to my uh, mental, mental and physical recovery. Wow. Wow. So we are at the bottom of the hour, um, ladies and gentlemen. It is not about 930. Um, Jason, what really clicked in when you were going through all of this I mean, you were 25. <clears throat> My story is not um, not that much different than yours, and uh, you know, it, except that you had more T cells than I did. Oh, really? When did you have? Had 40. Wow. Wow, yeah. I, I don't yeah. often meet people who are my, about my age who have less have less than I do. You were very. I'm crazy. older than you, baby. <laughs> I'm older, hey. older than you. My God, no, you're, what, you're, you're 31, right? I'm, I'm 33, <laughs> but if you want to call it, say, we want okay, to go back 30, to 31. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. I could still have been your babysitter. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> well, I'm Let's just put it that way. Babysitter. Uh-huh. Yeah, come on, baby. All right. I'll go. I'll find my own yeah, Come on, baby. Pop up here. Ho, ho, ho. Santa's got a present for you. Um, <laughs> my boyfriend's going to get jealous. He might be listening to this. I know. My, well, my boyfriend isn't because he's been chatting with me because he's watching um, the, the Amazing Race, and he's at his home. He's at his house. Gabe so loves that show. Anyway, yeah, um, I, yeah, you're I know your story. I'm sorry there's, to there's two Chippendale dancers on there. This Are they still on there? I don't know. I just saw it somewhere. Where did I see that? Anyway, what about his gay too? Well, well, aren't all Chippendale dancers gay? I wish I'd be going to more Chippendale mm-hmm. shows if they were. I thought most of them were. Anyway, I don't even know. Uh, yeah, yeah. You had forty T cells. So wow. Yeah, forty. Forty. I know. Whoa. Gosh. Yeah. So, um, but it, it, it's pretty amazing that when you 
you were 25. I was diagnosed yeah. much later in life. Well, not mm. that much later. Um, I was diagnosed at the age of 30. Okay. Uh-huh. So in two years, I'll have a 10-year diagnosis. Um, okay. But that brings me to a, um, what did they say, about a 17-year infection rate. Mm. Somewhere in there, yeah. So I've been infected for close to... 12 years now? Four, 13, 13 years. Um, so when, with, with you in particular, okay. you, uh, you know, I watched your video. I, I went and I looked you up and I, and I did some research and stuff. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> about those other videos later. Um, I know. There's a lot out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I wrote all those web, dress, web addresses so, um, all so those I could go back to the monitor. So they, they come up on the, uh, no, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yes, yes Xtube, yes. Um, I heard that already. Uh, <laughs> but um, so, so tell me what your thinking was, what, where you went, and, and how you got to where you are today, to be, you know, really outspoken, Becoming um, because I, I I was listening to your to your video, and what you were talking about was you didn't disclose publicly until you actually walked on stage and talked to somebody, talked yes. to a bunch of people. I so I had a, I came out big. I came out in, in front of an audience of about uh, almost a thousand people. That was my well. well I, I I came out. That was my second. I came out at a press conference. What had happened was. I had a friend of mine who was struggling with crystal meth, and he had, um, as a result, began living on the streets, and, you know, it had a very uh, fast decline, and started, as many um, homeless LGBT youth do, living on the streets, began selling his body. Um, At that point, when you're living on the streets, you have two things you can sell, usually. One is drugs, and the other is your sex. And he was starting to sell his body to survive. And because it was obviously um, a hard, hard life, he started using drugs as a way to numb himself. Um, and, and you know, zero converted out on the street and um, very quickly developed into AIDS. And uh, he disclosed to me, and we have a program that's called Aid Up. Your audience is, I'm sure, very sure what ADAP is. It's called the AIDS Drug Assistance Program, and it's for people who are uh, little to no insurance. Basically, through the Ryan White Care Act, um, people can receive free um, antiretroviral drugs. And so we had the paperwork. I remember sitting down with him and saying, this is free meds, you know, you're going to be taken care of. And at that point, you know, he was so deep in his addiction, there was no help of him getting... Um, a shelter bed, you know, there's so few, it's such a huge, we have such a huge homeless population in Terrasco, and like a quarter of the shelter beds needed. It's, I think that's a very similar situation in New York, actually. Um, you know, I always, I'm a big part of the Alley Forty Center, and I think they talk about similar issues a lot there. But, so, you know, I think in many ways he had already given up, and it was only a few months later that he had a cell phone call, he was in the university room, and, um, and he couldn't breathe. He had water on the lungs. It was, it was terrifying for me. And um, I was still very fragile. And my um, diagnosis, I was my health was still barely coming back. And um, it, you know, it turned out that he actually died on the operating table. And 
He was 24 years old. His name is Matthew Beals. I try to say his name as many times as I can, even though he has, he has passed a number of years ago. And um, it really enraged me. It really pissed me off that someone that young and that beautiful could have just been, you know, tail spin out. And, you know, people treated him like a rat. You know, he looked homeless. He looked, you know, you know sleeping on the street. And people were so mean to him and so awful to him. And, and the, the way he went was so lonely. And I thought, you know, if I can do anything to prevent that from happening to any more young boys, uh, you know, I, I can't save the world. I can't save, you know, everyone in San Francisco, but I can do something more than what I'm doing. And so I decided, you know, because of his death, and I, I did my first AIDS life cycle, and I, I started a blog very invoked, you know, 10 years ago. And I started writing about being a young HIV-positive man. And someone had seen this blog, you know, who worked at HIV nonprofit, and you know, Governor Schwarzenegger was threatening to cut the ADAP program in California. And they said, you know, we would like to really ask if you quit speak at this press conference. And so I had never spoken publicly about it before, although I had been writing about it, like, on the Internet. And I actually said no the first three times he asked me. And then someone said to me, you know, you always talk about Matthew. What would what would you do to help prevent people from being another Matthew? And you're like, maybe you should just do this and not forget about being scared and just do it for him. And, you know, that was just what I needed to hear. And so yeah. I agreed the next day, and I had no idea that every news channel in San Francisco was going to be there, that every newspaper was going to be there. And when I gave the speech and walked from off the podium, I literally was going to run. I was so nervous. I gave the speech, and I was going to just run. And I walked from behind the podium, went to, like, make a dash out of City Hall. It was at City Hall in San Francisco, very grand. And I looked, and I was literally four news teams with, like, you know, like, you know, like, Lindsay Lohan, like, with the, with the microphone splitter running up toward me. And I had this, like, moment, you know, a deer in headlights moment. And I thought, holy shit, part of my language, holy shit, you know, this things are never going to be the same. And like, I think it was that night and the next day I was in every uh, newspaper and every news channel in the Bay Area, and that got so much press, it just kind of snowballed from there. And suddenly I became this, like, you know, de facto HIV and AIDS advocate. And, I, you know, it really, truly, it all truly happened because I, I lost my friend, and it really made me angry. And I was really determined um, to make sure that didn't happen to anyone else if I could if I could help it. So that's really how it, it and all snowballs and happening. Wow. And I'm here with wow. you years later. Wow, 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 wow. wow. Hey, so we want to um, really, really quickly for our listeners who would like a chance to call in because we are getting to the top of the hour. Um, uh, the phone lines are 347-215-9442. Again, that phone number is 347-215-9442. We are talking with Jason. Don't tell me, don't tell me. Via Via Lobo. Both. Via Lobo. Exactly. Via Lobos. Is that right? better? Via Lobo. Close enough. Close enough. Via okay. Lobo. You know what? We're talking with Jason V, everybody. There we go. <laughs> Mr. V. Jason V. Hey, Jason V. All right, so we're talking with Jason, um, and the, again, that number is 347-215-9442. We are going to come back in just a couple of minutes after this short break. Great. 
I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than eight. All right, and we are back here live, Pazime Radio, with Jason Yalobis. So, Jason. <laughs> yes. Tell us a little bit. No, 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 no. We're not going to let you get off that easily. <laughs> no, no, no. Robert, can you can you give us that intro one more time, please? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Who are we with, Jason? I mean, who are we with, Robert? <laughs> Via Lobos, right? Via, Via Lobos. That's okay. Thank you. That's what I said. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> so, Jason, tell us a little bit how you got involved with the Greater uh, Than Age oh, Project. Oh, God. So, um, after I did the press conference with, uh, with, uh, with, with that, I just told you about, I started working with the, um, AIDS Foundation and doing a lot of PR for the um, AIDS lifecycle. And the guy who was in charge of PR for lifecycle is a um, very good-looking guy by the name of James LaDuca. Um, very smart as well, so, you know, he's very cute as well. Well, his husband, who is also very cute, was, worked for a Kaiser Family Foundation, and they were starting to call it greater than AIDS. So they focused primarily in the black community, because as we know, HIV and AIDS is just it's just really tearing the African American community apart. But they, but they had such a great response. From what I understand, from that they really wanted to do something with gay men specifically. And they thought, okay, who do we know? Who do we know that would appeal to young gay men? Who's out there? Who's out? Who's a young activist in San Francisco? And through um, the grapevine, you know. Uh, his husband, he already knew who I was, he was familiar with my work. And so I got a phone call one day and said, Hey, we're doing this thing called um Greater than Ace, I don't know if you're familiar with it. And I'd heard I'd heard about, I'd heard about it, but I didn't know a lot about it. And we want to know if you're willing to like, shoot like a like a, a online PSA. There's gonna be an ad in Out magazine and um there's gonna be a billboard. And I said, Oh wow, really? And so I said, you know what? Sure, why not? And you know it, it you know, it turned from an ad in Out Magazine and a single billboard in San Francisco and um, an online PSA. It turned into um, billboards in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Atlanta, somewhere else. I was, it was, I had to walk at one point during the summer two years ago, I had to walk past my, basically, my, they did not ask my first, by the way, so I signed all the rights to my image away. I was in every subway station. I was on every billboard. I was in bus stop shelters. I was, for about four months in San Francisco, my picture was literally everywhere. Posters at Walgreens went all over the nation. And so suddenly <laughs> I was Mr. HIV. Like, I was just plastered everywhere. And I had no idea that that was going to happen. And so people literally started recognizing me on the streets for being uh, this campaign. And it was really weird. But what was really <laughs> beautiful was that young boys would, I thought, I thought, I thought, I, thought, I would think I would be at a club and these cute young boy would come up and I'm like, oh wow, this guy's totally hitting on me. He's so cute. 
And then I very quietly, like, it just happened over and over again. I lean into me and say, like, literally whispering, so I saw you in that magazine, or I saw you on that billboard. I just, I just got told that I was atrial positive, and I'm really scared, and I don't know what to do. What should I do? And it went from something that I thought was, like, really cheesy and, like, really, oh, my God, my face everywhere, to suddenly I realized there was such a giant need for me and for us, people like us, to be out because there are people who don't like going to the doctor, don't want to go to the doctor. You know, they're scared. They don't know what to do. But they see someone that looks like them, and they felt comfortable. I suddenly I was, like, you know, walking kids to the to the HIV AIDS clinic. I was teaching people how to sign up for food stamps. You know, these boys who took off the bus from God knows where with, you know, $80 and no contacts. And, you know, they were positive and had no access to meds. And suddenly I was Mr. Social Worker. I was adopting all of these kids who were, like, 19, 21, 22. And so at first it was definitely, I think, overwhelming. And I actually took a step. I usually stopped going out because every time I, I went out, there was some young kid. And, you know, it can be really heavy to tell these stories. These kids get kicked out of their houses. You know, they their boyfriend dumped them because they found out their paws. And so, um, it, it, but, you know, I also say looking now, I have a little perspective, it's probably the best thing I have ever done. It, it, it gave me a level of notoriety to where, you know, people listen to what I had to say in San Francisco. You know, young boys, you know, started following me on Facebook. Um, and uh, I really was, I, I feel like I was really able to help a, a lot of young kids that really needed it. So it was a beautiful, fabulous experience. And I'm so grateful that I was asked to participate in it. I think it's awesome. We do have um, some, we've had some people on before who are taking part, uh, Marvelyn Brown, who we actually played the PSA. Uh, we've actually been playing their PSA for, God, we've been playing it for a while, huh, Jeremy? Yes, we have. Sorry, I was just arranging my meds so I could take them here a few minutes. So sorry. <laughs> I'm yeah, looking at my meds, too. I have yet to swallow them down for today, either. So. I know. It's like, I'm, I'm like, oh, shit, I've got, you know... You, you should see my cubby. I, I have a cubby full of medications up here because, A, I'm aging, and, and B, you know, it, yeah, it happens. It happens to all of us. But uh, but I, I dare say I will leave a beautiful corpse. You know, I, I hope I will too. You know, I, I think that, you know, have that glass of wine, you know, make out that cute boy, we never know when we're going to go. I always tell people, I'm like, you know what, have fun while you can. I don't believe in reincarnation. I personally do not believe in heaven. I believe it ends. You know, we turn in manure. So do what you got to do. Have fun while you can. But that's exactly <laughs> it. See, there is life after death. We provide the food. Uh, okay, that's right. Okay, so, uh, okay, so um, does anybody watch? Humans. What, what, what's the show? Um, the New Normal. With uh, with what's her name, Nene, whatever her name is, uh, Nene the Leaks. real Nene Leakes. That's it. Nene. I don't watch the show, but I know about it. Okay, so there's this great scene, and I have to say this because it is it is it, it's it's appropriate to this discussion. She has a goddaughter, and of course, as the godmother, she's supposed to show the goddaughter the um the her spiritual guidance guide guidance and all that stuff, and so. <laughs> The, the young girl, she says, so um, what happens when you die? And Mimi says, well, 
your spirit goes off to heaven, but your body, it just gets buried in the dirt. And then that okay. rots away, and it turns into plant food, and the plant food turns into food for the um, – for for our and it turns into plant food and and you know the worms eat it and da 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 and so she looks down at the girl south and she goes so you're really eating your grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's actually really beautiful. I, I, we could if it was legal, I would just have my partner at the time of my death or my friends, you know, wrap me in a sheet, throw me in a forest, and let like the wildlife pick at me, shit me out. And, like, you know, fertilize the earth. It's actually a, a very, you know, Native American way of, you know, the same then, of life. So, and then some hiker is going to stumble upon your body, <laughs> and then it's going to turn into, you know, like a, a, like a you know, Dateline Unsolved Mystery thing, and, and there we are. It's like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. <laughs> All of us who are listening now are going to be calling, no, that's Jason V. That's, look at look at the dental records. He 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 wanted the wolf to chew on his leg and exactly. you know carry his head, head around town all over. <laughs> I I would love that. I love the idea. I love I love I love the idea. I love the idea. I just, I'm reading your comments on on the online. So I just stepped in some Jason. You know I. <laughs> that's actually very funny, Mister Ken said that. And um, Ken said you know that, what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, shit me out, fertilize some flowers. You know that that's all good with me. You know, it is the circle of life, exactly, exactly, yes. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. Where did this conversation turn to? I'm a very dirty boy. I have the mouth of a sailor on me. It, it, I've had the mouth of a sailor on me a couple of times. Um, <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> I can't believe that just blurted out. Hey, sure. get it, get it, girl. You know, God, it wasn't just a sailor; it was a whole fleet at one point. But hey, hey, I digress. I grew up on a on a on a navy base, honey. It was all sea to me. <laughs> did you really? I did, yeah. yeah, yeah. Lucky you. Yeah, I saw the barracks more than they did. I bet you did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know what, Jason? We'll, get, you're we'll chat later. We'll, we'll, share, we'll swap stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, all right. I'm calming down now because I'm getting the uh, the angry finger and the and the little smiley thing with the arms crossed and the head, you know, turning left and right going, no, 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 from Robert. Okay. So he's, he's telling me to behave. So, all I right. know, all you're right. such a liar. Anyway, <laughs> you always make me be the ass of the serious one. Um, well, you are. You're mom. You, you are. are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drill, I can be a top. <laughs> they all say that, honey. They all say that. <laughs> I had someone say to me one time, he was like, I can top, but I don't want to. <laughs> And I thought that was just perfect. Like, if we, we can all talk, but do we really want to? Go for it. You know what? We're, we're done the last five minutes. Go. It's your show. <laughs> <laughs> so so one of the things that you wanted to talk about was disclosure and how um, difficult that yeah. was. Um, do you have yeah. any specific stories? I know you kind of shared how you disclosed to your partner, um, yeah. but are there any other, um, you know, things that you came in issues with when disclosing either to your family or to a friend yeah, like that? Yeah, disclosing my family is an absolute nightmare. 
it did not go well. And, um, you know, when I disclosed my family, like I said, I didn't do the research. You know, I was expecting my family to be, you know, giving me hugs and telling me it was going to be okay. And, you know, I scared the crap out of them. They, no one got up and said, you're going to be okay. It's going to be better. At that point, you know, they never had really had to deal with HIV themselves. And I hadn't gotten educated them. It's really unfair sometimes that when you disclose, not only do you have to end up reassuring the people that you were disclosing to when sometimes we think that maybe we should be the ones who are being comforted. And so, you know, I always say before you go and tell your family, before you go and tell your potential boyfriend, you got to know what you're talking about. And at that time, I did not. I couldn't tell them for, with certainty that I was going to live. I couldn't tell them right. with certainty that, like, they could kiss me and hug me and share my food and drink my water, which is all, by the way, totally safe, as we know. Um, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure about any of that. And so, Unless you have a they, cold sore. and you know I think that they were really scared and so before I always recommend before people disclose is that they go in knowing what you're talking about and it it, it seems unfair that we have to like not only uh, explain this very very information but we also have to be like teachers Um, but that's just kind of how the way it is and I accepted that a long time ago and I have no problem with it now but um, also Try to also, and also, when you disclose that someone, like, rejects you because that is going to happen, it happens to all of us, and it feels terrible, but just know, I always want to remind people that you're worthy of love, that love will find you, that you're worthy of uh, success and happiness, and that um, it may, there's going to be some difficult times and some nights you may not sleep, but things will get better if you want them to, that your health will recover, that you will find happiness if you allow it to come into your life and that you can still be a badass mofo um, and, and boys are still going to have sex with you and love you and beg you to date them and be your boyfriend and um, keep yourself, keep your, remind yourself of that. And, um, and if they're just pills. It's like swallowing four Skittles a day and it doesn't have to be your whole life. It's just, it's just another thing that's a part of you. That's what always what I really try and to remind people, and that uh, I always I always tell people that I love them, because that's such an important message. And so, if you have a friend who is struggling with um, coming out with HIV uh, positive or with AIDS, the, the biggest thing that you can do for them is to let them know that nothing will ever change, that you still love them, that you'll still always be there for them, and that you know they're still as special to you before as they were absolutely uh, before, before. And and and. And I'm, I'm just going to do this. I, I'm going to I'm going to quote um, I'm going to quote RuPaul because every every night that she's always talking about when she does uh, the uh, RuPaul Drag Race, she says, "What other people think of you is none of your business." You know, I, you know, it's such that's such a good saying. It's so hard to do, but it is. Such, it's such a good to remind ourselves. Of that. It certainly is. So, Jason, I personally want to thank you for uh, coming on and spending the last hour with us. Um, we are literally down to the last 30 seconds. So um, are there any other final words in, in, in five seconds or less that you want to leave our listeners with? You're beautiful. Rock on, you bad bitches. <laughs> Jason, thanks so much for calling in. Thank you, thanks guys. Thanks for being with us. Bye-bye now. You too. Take care. Oh, my gosh. That was fun. Yeah, totally uh, awesome guy.
Um, so oh, um, fun, for more fun, information fun. on, if you want to connect with Jason through Facebook, you can do that on our Facebook uh, page for the Pazam Radio Show. Just to remind people that they can find more information on uh, Jeremy Dunn by going to his lovely website, positively.com. And more information on the radio show and some past guests and to join the POSIM social network, you can go to POSIM.com. Jeremy, great show. I will speak to you next week when we speak with Ken Warnock. Ken who? Ken Warnock. Ken, I thought you said Ken Warner. I'm like, who the hell is that? We're, we're looking for – we're definitely, definitely looking forward to talking with Ken. I can't wait to talk about his Navy experience. Yes, me too. So you have a great night, and thanks, everybody, for you tuning too. in. We'll see you next week. All right. Ciao. Bye-bye.